welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest for me, huge guest for me, Johnny Peabucks of the Swingin' Utters is on the show. One of my favorite bands of all time. I'm going to say it right here. One of my favorite vocalists of all time and someone that I have, I've longed to have on this show and it has finally happened today, but more on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. That is a podcast email address run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all your hard work. And he will get the message to me. There's also a Facebook page run by my brother as well. Uh, Facebook.com, or I think it's all caps now, Facebook.com slash turned out a punk. You can also find us uh, at turned out a punk on Instagram. I believe there's a Tumblr if anyone uses that still and, and the like. You can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. Uh, the best way to support the show is by just telling all your friends, letting everyone you know know that there's this thing going on that they might be into and, and just spread the word that way, or, you know, write a review and rate it on your podcast listening device of choice. Uh, you could also support this show by, you know, just, uh, checking out the Patreon. We have a Patreon page, turn it a punk.com slash, uh, Patreon.com slash turned out a punk. And that's where footnotes is. So if you are a fan of footnotes podcast, it lives. Chris O'Toole and I are still there behind the Patreon wall, putting up turned out a punk footnotes. So you can check that all out. All the information about the Patreon is there on that page. And uh, yeah, so you can support the show by doing that. Speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. Vans came on board and said, do what you do, Damien. Just don't lose money on it. And they support this podcast and let me book whoever I want. And, and it's amazing. So thank you so much to everyone at Vans. Uh, trying to think of other stuff that there's to plug. I think that's about it. Oh, if you want to watch The Wrestlers, my TV show about pro wrestling done with the great folks at Salazar Films, you can now see that on a lot of the overtop streaming services. If you have television that has Viceland or Vice content, check it out now. Check out The Wrestlers and, and get your mind blown. Get your mind blown. Darby Allen. The new king of the punk rock wrestling connection is on the wrestlers. Yep, that's right. We we got him first. Because I'm not going to let something like that slip through my fingers. No, 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 no. And that episode also features music of Neurosis and music of Gigi Allen. So do with that what you will. <laughs> I'm proud about one of those things. Maybe not the second thing as much, but I'm proud about one of those things. Okay, that's it. On to today's show. Today on the show, man, have I wanted to have this guy on for a while. Johnny P. Bucks Bunnell is on the show today of the band, the Swingin' Utters of the Filthy Thieving Bastards. And uh, I am overjoyed, as you can tell. You will hear on the episode, I'm very excited. It's one of those ones where I'm having a hard time containing that excitement and energy, but you'll, you'll hear it in a second. Uh, Swingin' Utters are a band that I came to when I saw them at the very first Warp Tour. They were on that second stage, and it just immediately hooked me. They are a band that... Uh, featured prominently throughout my life. Like I went to that first show the first time I saw him with my friend Simon. Uh, and that just set me on a path. Like, you know, I, I'd seen other shows before that, but that show, um, and that band in particular, Swingers in particular, like meeting Kevin, who was a bass player of the band of, of the band at the time. And just realizing that these people on stage are just like us and that punk, you can just 
be with the bands and just be part of this thing. It was, it was a real watershed moment for me. And then fast forward a few years later, uh, a good friend of mine that I got into the band and we continued to get into the band more and more, uh, fell completely in love with the sounds wrong EP and the song dirty C and, uh, you know, like it was, it was a band, this friend of mine, uh, Ted Moore re- really shared, you know, and then, uh, I lost Ted, you know, much later in my thirties, you know, and that song, just every time I hear it, it puts like a lump right in my throat. Um, and actually the night that I first saw them was the night that I found out that my grandmother had cancer. Um, the day I got back from the warp tour, and then fast forward again to last year, I was supposed to actually see them and I was supposed to do this interview with Johnny. And it was the night that my, uh, my stepmother, um, passed away. So it was always this band that's kind of had this real, like heavy emotional place in my life, you know, and they're, they're a band that, you know, the music kind of carries that weight too. So going in this interview, I had a, like a lot of stuff on my head you know, on top of that, the fandom of this band, the fact that I'm a obsessive collector of them and all the usual nerdy shit. So, uh, I don't know if I did justice to the conversation that I was hoping to have with Johnny, but we're going to do a part two. Um, and this is not to Smith. I don't know why I'm saying this before you hear it. I should just be like, Oh, it's awesome. Then, you know, leave that at the post, but this is a, it's a fun conversation. We get to a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of amazing stories. It's very short. Um, but I, I don't, think I got that emotional weight that I was hoping to get. Um, but also what would a turn into punk episode be if there wasn't room for a part two, uh, at the end, you know, like that's really what the hope is here. Uh, I'm going to let you listen to the show in one second, a couple notes before we get to it. Uh, force majeure records, like a label that put out a few good records and a lot of very sketchy right wing borderline fascist records, in some cases, straight up fascist records too. So just laying out that we are not giving this label an endorsement in any way in the episode. Uh, and I, th- I think that's about it for other, oh, there was another correction I had to put in there. Oh, this is why I should take better notes, but you know, I was rushing to get this one out for, for you. Uh, that's it. Um, there's nothing else more to add to this. I'm going to say to you, sit back and relax and enjoy Johnny Bonnell, AKA Johnny P bucks of the swing and utters on Oh shit, now I remember what it was. We were recording this episode in Moss Park in Toronto. And for those of you who don't know Moss Park in Toronto, it's a uh, a park with uh, a lot of activity and it's a very very much a downtown park in Toronto. So I think it adds a little uh a mise en scene for the whole you know thing. You know, you kind of get a little piece of what we were experiencing on this episode. But that just to explain the background noise on the episode. So that's it. Here's Johnny P. Bucks on Turned Out a Punk. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. It's an honor to be a part of it. Well, I can't believe that you uh, are, are that stoked about it because you are one of the ones that I, I you know, I always hoped I get to. You know, I've had, a, I've had an opportunity to have like a lot of cool people on. But you're someone that had such a huge impact on me and I'm such a fan of as a songwriter, as a vocalist, and just someone in a band that, uh, yeah, I'm just a real pleasure to have you on. 
Very nice, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, now that I've uh, done that gushing introduction, we got to get to the nerdy stuff and the punishment. So I'm going to start off the way I start them all off, which is how'd you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I have uh, older siblings, and my oldest sister at the age of 18 went to England. Uh, right when punk was breaking, pretty much, 77 or something like that, 78. And she also got a taste of two-tone and new wave over there and came back with some friends. And uh, I started hearing these names like the Sex Pistols and the Damned, and that just piqued my curiosity from the start. And um, I started diving in with some friends, like-minded friends at... um, um, in eighth, seventh or eighth grade or something like that. Hey, man. How are you? <laughs> Have a good day. Well, so did she go deeper to herself, or was that just like something she experienced for the you know the, the explosion of it? Yeah, she she uh, she was going to shows and stuff over there, but I was just, I was just like blown away that she was able to do that at the at that early age, and I admired her for it. My dad didn't, and I was bummed out at my dad for that, um, for his whole life. That, that sort of put a, a, a wet blanket over our relationship. But, um, yeah, and uh, I j- just the names alone got me uh, looking into record stores and stiffle fingers. I mean, those names were amazing. Um, just the names alone uh, got, got my curiosity going. And, and then I, um, my brother was really into music, and he was buying things as they came out. I remember he bought uh, the specials when it first came out, and that blew my mind because I was just like, it's punk and reggae, it's mixed, it's so wonderful and rad. And, and I, well, I just listened to it last week, and it still holds up. It holds it's, up. It's like it's, one of those ones that's still... And Stiff Little Fingers, song. too. Yeah, yeah. Stiff Little Fingers is another band that, like, they just play, like, Primavera sound in Spain. And I went back and I listened to it, and I'm like, this, this is still, like... It's relevant, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's got the. I, I really like the uh, the uh, anyone can do it attitude, um, especially the vocals, and so mm-hmm. that's when I was like, because I was really into the Stones at the time and Creedence Clearwater, like B fifty twos and stuff like that. Um, but um, I was just like, oh, I wonder if I could do this, and I just remember being in my room um, playing records. And I had this light that cast a shadow of my profile. And I would just, um, and I had that um, Hot Rocks. <laughs> yeah. you know, it has all the profiles of the yeah. Stones. And I'd try to get Mick Jagger's profile <laughs> while I'd sing. And, uh, but I, you know, I'd, I'd sing Clash songs yeah. and special songs and stuff like that. But uh, that's the main thing that got me going. Um, and into punk was, it seemed like anyone could do it. And, uh, and not to put those people down, they're uh, immensely talented and courageous, but uh, I admired them for that, and uh, I wanted to be a part of it. And so I got into punk with other friends that wanted to get into punk. Kevin was one of them, and he was an avid record collector as well. So we would be just going to the record stores. Any job we got, it was all of our money went to the record store, so... Was this, in, this is in Santa Cruz, right? This is in Santa Cruz, yeah. What was the record store that you guys were going to? Um, there was a place called Cymbaline and um, Record Factory. Um, but those, the Record Factory, and there was also this place called Logos, which was books and records, and they were used records. 
And that's where we found almost all of our collection. And it, I mean, we'd find stacks of like Sham 69s, Tell Us the Truth, mm -hmm. and just be like, what's going on? We were, we were blown away. Because uh, <clears throat> we just thought it was a bookstore. And when we saw the records in the back, we just went crazy. They had rad jazz and blues. Um, blues and um, I just loved shopping there because they'd be playing uh, like Dave Brubeck in the background while you're shopping. And, <laughs> I don't know. It just it was so comforting. And, and uh, when you got your find, you know, you'd be like, I got it. You know, I'm just running up to the all nervous paying for it thinking like oh I don't have enough <laughs> so who are the local bands other than like well like uh, you know Blast obviously I guess would have been going but like yeah. who are some of the other local bands that you know you were seeing at that time well we had a club there called Club Culture and a lot of bands came through and even the big ones Husker uh, Du and even Red Hot Chili Peppers and, yeah um, GBH Channel 3 um, 7 Seconds everyone came through Santa Cruz mm -hmm. at that time and it was a great place because the, the door guy got friendly with him and he just like anything he got we just like dump our cha our change and uh you know he's uh come on in it's cool you know <laughs> that's awesome yeah so we'd show up a little bit late you know maybe miss the first couple bands just so it, it didn't you know we're not in line and saying oh is this okay you know um and he, he was really cool about it he got us into a lot of shows for cheap so. so were you guys playing music at this point or is this before that all happened this was before um, I didn't I got kind of a late start I think I was like 20, 21 when I um, first started uh, playing with the Swing and Utters and um, Greg our drummer original drummer had a friend named Eric who was like this rock guy who was really into uh, Zeppelin and Van Halen and stuff <laughs> and so um, we were just like yeah let's get a band together and Kevin of course and uh, yeah we just started playing uh, covers uh, early Mostly early British punk, but we also played like Descendants and um, there was, it was and some Oi. It was really weird. It was like um, the people that we knew in Santa Cruz were skinheads, like traditional skinheads. They had a, a pretty big group, and uh, I mostly hung out with them. And they played rad music too. I mean, it's the early ska and Rocksteady. Yeah, because you guys kind of get lumped in with the like. You know, sonically, you guys were, I think, way different. I've always kind of thought of, like, Swing and Utters almost as, like, a stiff influence band, like an Elvis Costello, Nick Lowe sure. influence band. But you guys were kind of, like, definitely lumped in with Oi, you know, and especially yeah. in the early years. Uh, it was because of that Santa Cruz, um, all the group of friends that we had in Santa Cruz, they sort of followed us to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're great guys. They're, 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 I still keep in contact with them. And, uh... They, they made fanzines and and uh, had dances and stuff. It was just a really cool way to, like, get introduced to new music and old music. Mm -hmm. So um, we were lucky in that aspect. And to have the club culture there, too, with all these punk bands cruising through. And so, uh, yeah, so we just, we didn't really take it that seriously. We were just a cover band. And as soon as Darius joined, he had all these amazing original songs. And we were just like... <laughs> oh my god dude we gotta play these i was like nervous to sing them because they were so good um just his little crappy uh, cassettes of him playing on the guitar and singing and uh and the lyrics just blew me away i was just like man you're you're on another level songwriting wise i mean at that age too i mean he had, as a teenager yeah he had all these songs i was just like jesus christ dude this is amazing we're 
so lucky to have you because the first time I asked him to join, I said, can you play harmonica? Because I didn't know if the other guitar player would be all bummed out that we got another guitar player. It's just going to have like a Blues Traveler style right. harmonica player, Boston type vibe to it. it. It was a really bad idea. <laughs> it was insulting and just stupid of me to ask. But um, he's like, no, I play guitar. And I was like, all right, yeah, uh, how about lead guitar you know, maybe we can have a lead and rhythm like, mm-hmm. like the Stones or whatever. And uh, yeah, he, he just got his way in. And so, how long was that? Like, you guys formed in '87, right? Like, yeah, '87, '88. How long into it did he join? Uh, I think it was '91. Oh, so so how many of those songs wind up on that first tape? Um, most of them. Oh wow, that's crazy! So he wrote all those songs of the teenagers. That's like, I was looking at that tape today. Um, I found a copy of that tape like years ago in a used store in Toronto somehow. And yeah, I saw that on the Yeah, I, w- I was like blown away. Like when I found it, I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is in Toronto. <laughs> um, but like I was looking at it and I'm like, there's so many classics on that tape. Like right from the jump, you guys had like a, like a sound. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we were writing as well. Kevin uh, wrote Laser Tech, which you guys covered. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the only time I've ever begged to be on a record. <laughs> So, I wrote, I wrote, because I heard, I read about it on Punk News that there was going to be a Swing and Irish tribute record. Dude, that blew us And I wrote, wrote in, and luckily Laser Attack was on my list of like, I had a list of like 10 songs that I really wanted to do, and we were so late in the game. He's like, well, most of these are taken, but Laser Attack, which I think was like number four on the list, is like still free, and I'm like, got it, we'll nail it. Right on, yeah, I love it. I love <laughs> Thank it. you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we also wrote Pitched, and even Greg wrote, um, wrote a couple songs, and um it's just the more the merrier, you know. It's just get everyone's input and yeah. swirl around. And practices were fun. It was just us, you know, drinking and having a good time and, you know, playing original music. So we were stoked. And um, But Darius was the main instigator of us just moving forward. So what was the scene that you guys were playing in at that time in San Francisco? Like, what were some of the other bands that you kind of got lumped in with playing with or, or you would wind up playing with? It was mostly parties, like backyard parties. Um we play. We play with a band called Odd Numbers. You probably never heard of them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They were they were uh, like minded like us, kind of a modi uh, mm-hmm. jam outfit. And uh, um, but it was mostly just weird random parties. You know, it wasn't anything um, where all right, you we're gonna go out on a little jaunt with this band or that band. Because our first tour was like with the Meat Men and KSUK and stuff like that. So what? Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, from the from the jump, we're like, what? This this is our first tour. How awesome can that be? How did how did that tour? Was this after the first seven inch or the first ten inch for seven inch? Ah, uh, God, I want to say it was. Um, it might have been right before, uh, right when the ten inch was coming out. Okay, I think it was for that. Um, but, yeah, we had this... I, I probably shouldn't talk bad about people, but we had this <laughs> booking guy that... Because we didn't know anything about getting shows and stuff other than book your own fucking life. I think everyone in a band can understand where this is going with this person, so don't worry. I think we all know <laughs> exactly what this person was like with the by the job they were tasked with. Yeah, so I, I guess he was... Uh, he booked Kayashi K and us. <laughs> and um, it was just really poorly planned it was and it was crazy amount of time and for our first tour we just weren't ready for it i think i was crying a weekend <laughs> just like i want to go <laughs> how long was the tour uh, i'd say i think it was only like a, 
a week, a month and a half. A month and a half? Yeah. Oh, my, so it's like every city in America type thing? Yeah, yeah. And, and KSUK were like, we're not going to play this one tonight. We're too hungover, but you guys can still play. <laughs> so we, we'd be on our own sometimes and playing to like four or five people. And uh, <laughs> But it was great. It was a great experience. I, I, I cherished those, those moments. I mean, those were really cool times. And we got songs out of it. I think Darius wrote a few songs for... Uh, um, Oh, actually, Chaos UK. I think we had Streets of San Francisco out. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. My, my, uh, I think after a month and a half, you probably blocked a lot of, of it out. At this yeah, point. and we, we were heavy drinkers back then. I mean, it was like to the point where I, I would destroy our van from the inside, you know, kick in the dashboard. Mm-hmm. I didn't like mm-hmm. the song. I just, I'm not a good drunk. Um, not too many people are, but... Um, yeah, I forgot what we were doing. No, no, and I think also the road is, like, a very conducive environment for that, too. Like, every night you're paid in booze yeah, or... That, that was the thing. It was just, like, we got to take advantage of this, and um, anytime we drive by cornfields, we got to run out there and grab some corn and, and you know, barbecue those things up and um, just anything we can get. Just scratch and claw our way through this tour and just say, well, we've done a tour, so that, that means we can do more. And this yeah. was in the back of a pickup truck with a... With a trailer, so, so you guys are sitting in the back of the pickup truck, or did you guys all sit in the cab? No, there's uh, two, two up front, and three of us in the back, and um, <laughs> yeah, just sort of laying down. You know. Oh my god! And it had a shell with no windows, and <laughs> oh. so when it rained, you got soaked. And it was I a don't su- know. It was, summer it was, tour, luckily. Hopefully, yeah, it was okay. So it was, it was nice and hot, but you know, we, we get rained on every every once in a while. But um, yeah, I, I just thought it was a, a great experience i mean i feel so fucking lucky man just to mm-hmm. be a part of it and uh and that early i mean it, i thought we were late to the game but according to now it's like it doesn't feel <laughs> late you know it feels like it was you know it feels like it was back in the day like we started it but we didn't start anything it was just we were just uh doing what our forefathers did you know well you guys predate like like so much stuff right like i think like, you know, like, there's so many eras of the band, you know, and there's so many people that probably come to you at different points in your, your career, but, like, you know, like, as, like, once again, a guy who's tried to collect everything you put out, like, it's, like, starts in 91, 90, you guys are recording, right? Like, yeah, so it's, yeah. like, that's, you know, you saw it all, like, that's that's Nirvana-breaking to era to, right. to, to this day, right? Like... Yeah, I mean, uh... <laughs> I just kept I, I remember watching uh, at my work I remember watching um, MTV and 120 minutes and just uh, I just wanted to get at that level you know <laughs> but it, it's never happening and it never will and uh, I'm sort of glad it never did because I've seen a lot of um, bands just sort of dissipate after mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. and you outlived MTV yeah you know there, there's no more music on MTV yeah. so there's really no more 120 minutes these days right right so yeah, yeah count ourselves uh, lucky and uh, um, now I'm happier than ever being in this band got the raddest dudes that I all love very much and um, you know and they love me back so it's it's uh, it's a beautiful thing how did going back to the very beginning now uh, how did the seven inch with force majeure is that how you pronounce it too majeure I think so okay yeah. how did that come about because they're like a Michigan based label right yeah it was just 
they wanted to put a single out and we're like okay we didn't know you know it's like a label wants to put us out I, we didn't know if they were sketchy or not we just like <laughs> fuck yeah here's our music so uh well, they didn't put out everything sketchy like they definitely put out no, like, like non yeah, yeah yeah like they put out like a lot of there's also that band that's like a total radio Birdman kind of yeah yeah s- I wish uh, I could remember that name I can't remember that band either picture the records but it like you know a sick band as well but it's just a very weird label that once again like that guy must have had his ear like would he have heard the tape I guess probably yeah because we did cruise through Detroit with chaos so um yeah maybe he got it then and yeah it was like or uh I think we were selling cassettes off in um, uh, Maximum Rock and Roll yeah. for a bit yeah I'll book your own fucking life probably too or yeah, as a Maximum yeah. Rock and Roll it's Kevin, like, Kevin did a lot of that stuff he was I think he did a lot of the mail order stuff it's such a but, different time too where like you would be approached by a label and have no way of researching the label yeah. at all that's like, why we were just like blown away that a label wanted to put something out so yeah just like okay uh, it, it might have been talked over by someone else in the band like they flushed it out and thought oh this is a legit label and um, I mean, they were pretty small time, but still enough to put a single out. That's mm-hmm. that's cool with us. And that single looks amazing too for the era to where it comes in. Like it's a real classic look oh, to that thing too. Yeah, I was trying to rip off the um, Cost of Living EP by the Clash. Oh, that makes <laughs> sense now. Okay, but a, I took a that hot uh, it says hot sauce in Japanese. I think I got it out of a um, Tabasco. <laughs> <laughs> Tabasco bottle thing It's like a piece of paper and It just says hot sauce In Japanese <laughs> I don't know What I was thinking But uh And we were really into You know Guinness Because we had like a An Irish pub Around the corner From where we lived In Santa Cruz And we'd go there Like pretty much every night So were you guys still in Santa Cruz When that stuff's recorded Or you were already relocated To San Francisco by that point No we, I think we were still In Santa Cruz Okay um, the, the street to San Francisco Was when we you moved up Yeah um, That's when think The ball started rolling Because then NRA Picked us up And um, Paid for the recording We could have the split With the UK subs too Before right I think Yeah is it, What's that on uh, NRA Oh it is okay. I think that's the first NRA record oh, Okay uh, um, Then that must have Then he must have said Okay <laughs> let's do a full length Yeah and that record is I don't know, like, I'm, I'm, once again, that record is a very defining record for me, as I, I kind of told you. Um, what was it like going and record that? Like, obviously, you'd done some other recordings for that, before that, but, like, how much of that was written beforehand? How much of it was written in the studio? How long did it take to record? Like, had you demoed it? Oh, sorry, uh, a lot of questions at once. Yeah, that. well, that was Darius' song. He sings that one. It's Teenage Genocide, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I mean, for the actual LP, Street to San Francisco. Oh, for like, Streets. Yeah, it was two weeks, I think, okay. to record and um, with uh, Lars from Rancid, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was it was just a pretty much all smooth going. It was fun. Um, I mean, we you could tell we were having a good time, especially like on Catastrophe and stuff. There's all that the party talking in the background, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to make. I don't even know. I'm trying to make it like sound like it's a party, but of course, it just sounds like us saying a word over and over. Again. It's all, it read as a party to me as a, as like you know 14, and still reads as a party to me today. So you're yeah. shattering the illusion for me right now. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it was it was a lot of fun just to record all that stuff. And, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, we didn't demo. I don't think we might have. Oh, we demoed at uh, House of Faith, and that's like, where we did the 10 inch. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's with this guy, Bart Thurber, who's, I think he's world renowned because <laughs> he, he's still going and still charging ridiculously low prices for recording on these reel-to-reels. He's done, like, everyone, too, right? Like, he, does he do, like, a lot of, like, did he do Neurosis stuff at one point? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, sure. of course. Yeah, yeah he, um, he was very popular. Um, he's from Whipping Boy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Man, a lot of people came out of that band, like yeah. Eugene from Oxbow as well. Like, there's, like, a, you know, that's a that's a real, like, obscure band that I guess had a big kind of impact on different areas. I just, I just remember the continuous ring at the end of one of the records where <laughs> <or something. laughs> yeah. so you have to take it off. <laughs> have you ever seen Oxbow live? No. He like someone told me like oh you got to see this band live at, at I think it was South by Southwest and I went and he like was choking out people in the audience no like way. smashing himself in the dick like taking off all his clothes and he's like super ripped to ship with all these sketchy tattoos and it's it was the most insane live show I've ever seen I've never seen White House or any of that kind of stuff but this was as close to that experience that I has ever had that's right <laughs> um, yeah man I I just uh, it was kind of a blur, but because um, once again I was drinking pretty heavily back then, so um, but I don't want to make that a huge excuse for this interview. No, 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 I understand, like absolutely. And once again, as we say, like it's something that's there every night. Like as a band, you don't even realize how much of a thing it becomes, especially if you're spending a lot of time on the road because right. it's just part of the lifestyle yeah. in, a, in a in a real way. It is, and unfortunate. Unfortunately, but, yeah, yeah. But um, also, I had really good times getting drunk with with the band. So. <laughs> I, I, I got to take the bad with the good, I guess. The double-edged sword. Yeah. So where did you go? Um, sorry, how did you get on the Warp Tour? Did they approach you uh, out of the gate? Did you have a booking agent, a different booking agent than the Chaos UK one at this point? Or? Um, I want to say Stormy at that time, but okay. I'm not sure. Um, Max was really, he was the instigator in getting us on a lot of the tours just because he's really nice talker. He's a pleasant dude. Um, cool guy to hang out with and uh, he, he would I don't want to say schmooze but he would schmooze uh, with like Fat Mike that's how we got on Fat um, um, Nikki that's how we got on NRA before that but you guys were already kind of like you were like a maximum rock and roll beloved band like that's where I think I heard about you guys first was like you know picking a maximum rock and roll and everyone on everyone's top 10 list there was like the 10 inch yeah um, they treat us really well um they interviewed us and we got in there. I, I was just blown away that um, there was any kind of interest at all. But, um, yeah, they, they helped us out big time. Mm-hmm. That was a, that's where a lot of people heard of us, mm-hmm. even to this day. They said, yeah, I heard you and, um, or read about you in Max Rock and Roll. And, um, or, and then later on, it was the uh, Tony Hawk. Uh, <laughs> yes. I guess we got a song on there. Uh, but that's it's amazing how many people I've interviewed on this show now who are who are actually, you know, adults in their own right, but that's how they got into it. Yeah. Was through the Tony Hawk soundtracks. And it's like in an era where kids weren't going to record stores in the same way, there was no music television, like those provided a really cool outlet for bands that might not other, not otherwise have the outlet. For sure. I wish to God I was ever on one of those soundtracks. Yeah, no, it it was awesome. I mean it was uh that's another thing we're like wow we're really moving now but you're, it's it's just like uh you start thinking that and then it's like ah, i can't pay bills you know yeah i gotta go back to work so uh we were touring pretty heavily in the early 90s um like i would want to say like seven months eight months out of the year 
But I think a lot of bands were doing that early on. And, uh, because you just had to mm-hmm. if you wanted to make it your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, my wife is the sole reason why I'm able to do this. She's supported me from the beginning. And it's, if, if I didn't uh, have her in my life, this, I wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a swinging others. I, I wouldn't be in the swinging others. Mm-hmm. So. I gotta I, give I, kudos to her. I know exactly. Well, that feels like yeah. it's, it's without that stable partner, like you need something to kind of ground you, for sure. Or else you just like kind of float away into this world. Exactly. I'm, I don't know what I've done. I mean, there was a lot, a lot of my friends and even band members that were couch surfing when we got back from tours. So yeah, I had a place, at least a place to come back to. And, yeah, and uh, be loved. So it's a weird lifestyle too. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with pro wrestling and, and talking to a lot of wrestlers just like that. And I know. For a lot of comedians, it is where it's just like these unbelievable highs, and then the the real like bone on bone reality after the tour that yes. just you come back to like you know it's it's not necessarily sustainable at the way you know it should be. And I I heard Keith Richards like you know it costs him like a couple hundred thousand dollars a day to be Keith Richards. So oh, shit. you know like that's oh, why the, the drugs. Well, just I just think like for you know alimony payments, oh, like oh, gotcha. you know just like every people that he's on his payroll, you know. So I'm sure like the Rolling Stones probably don't want to tour anymore. I can't imagine even at the lifestyle they have. Like I imagine they probably just want to sit at home and yeah, you know. But it seems like he loves it though. They seem like they do, but like you know, I, I don't know. Like you gotta be tired of it. You gotta be tired of it, right? Like he can't be. What experiences are left to have for him on the road? Like he's That's like, I true. just want to die alone, like in my room. Like oh, they must be eating good food and stuff like they're that. They're probably eating amazing food, but yeah. even that gets like, you know, like tiring after a while. I'm sure. Like you know, and probably at his age to keep him alive, they probably have him on the most insane diet imaginable. Yeah, like yeah. all the joys out of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I, we lucked out and uh <laughs> I, I just uh I, I think we're all a little bit crazy um maybe crazy is the wrong word just a little mentally uh off <laughs> from all the the from being in a band because you know your your family you live with them in the van and you play with them live and there's just love and hate and and arguments and then and then love again and then it's 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 bound to just drive you a little bit nuts because um i know when i got back i got really depressed after each tour but i've i've talked to a number of people that said the same thing oh yeah and it's just uh it's kind of uh it's heartbreaking and it's just like um you don't really want to do anything and um even works really hard and um, just getting up you don't feel like it and um I'm just glad I made it through all those times, and now it's uh, meditation's helped out a lot, and, and um, you know, lay, maybe laying off the booze. I'm, try- I'm, too. I'm trying to get that point too. You yeah. know, like just funny you say meditation. That's something I've just like, just literally began investigating as a way to kind of deal with, because it's the anxiety before the tour and the depression after the tour. Exactly, man. It's exactly the same for all, for. Uh, um, I, I would say 80% of musicians, I hear it all the time. It's just, um, it's, it's a sad truth. And um, But I'm glad there's things out there like yoga and meditation that uh, can help with, with these things. And and family as well. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just like, yeah, I guess you, you have to be, you know, in talking about, you know, everyone has to be a little bit of crazy to do this, like you're saying, or it's made a little bit crazy. Like the people that 
that don't experience or the people that you got to be really scared of. Because like, yes, for sure, <laughs> for sure, um, it toughens you up too, which yeah. is, which is a great thing. And um, um, that's probably the main thing that I like that I can take from being in a band like this. It's just it, it calluses you up, and uh, things don't affect me as much. Um, and the meditation is is a, a big part of that as well. And it sort of directed me right into that where I need time to just um, recharge the battery or whatever. And uh, some silence, you know, because mm-hmm. loud music, loud band uh, for months. And then uh, the beautiful silence. You can sort yeah. of, okay, now I know what life's about. You know? Yeah. I want to like music again one day too. So yeah, I'm yeah. hoping to get back. Like, Uh-oh. Hello. <laughs> I was going to uh, pee on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't keep you too much longer because I want you to be able to get that silence before the show. Oh, tonight, no, that, so. that, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, tell you. That. No, I know I wasn't getting, but I okay. mean like in general, I know what it's like before you play a show and I like, I just appreciate you doing this, but like at one point in the future, would you sit down and do kind of a more extensive part two with For me, sure, a deep man. dive? Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, But I do want to kind of talk about that transition period of what was it like signing to Fat Records? And I remember, you know, I remember just people that were kind of coming from the more street punk side of things being like, oh, I can't believe they signed a Fat Records, the skate punk label. And, you know, Ryan Green produced the record. And I can't believe it's now like what was what was it like for you guys? Like, how did that whole relationship, I guess, start? in the first place and then why Fat Records were there other options presented to you I love that record by the way that's still my side one A1 of all time like that is like the best kickoff of an album ever thank you man thank you very much um, yeah that that was pretty much through Max Max uh, our old guitar player uh, became friends with Fat Mike he started showing up at our shows he didn't I don't think he liked Streets of San Francisco that much he, he doesn't have great taste Fat Mike in music <laughs> Like he, I can't say that, man. I, I know, I know. I, like he, I like. I'll tell him this to his face. He, like, he's been on the show and he hates my taste in music too. He's like, yeah. you like all the shit stuff, and I'm like, dude, you like some bullshit, man. Like you got great taste up to a point, but then the- I never, I never understood why we were on fat. But they they treat us so great that, and I love everyone that that. Uh, oh, it's a great label. No yeah. shit talk on any of the label too, yeah. and no shit talk on Mike too. He's been on the show, yeah. and I love that dude to death. But yeah, yeah. I will say that to his face because that is a classic fucking record as well. So anyway, yeah. So, but he goes, but I really love your live shows because there's fights and it's dangerous <laughs> and it's cool. And he's, he really liked it that that there was like fights almost every show, <laughs> and that's. Partly because I don't want to blame it all on the, our skinhead following, but it, it had something to do with it because there were mainly uh, skinheads fighting punks or whatever, punks fighting skinheads. So. What was the scene that had kind of, because you move up to San Francisco and then this is a few years later, like four years later, I guess, right? Five years later? Yeah, something like that. So what kind of scene had kind of developed around you at that point? Like, you know, we're, I know you did shows with AFI and Screw 32 yeah. and Fury 66 from Santa Cruz as well, but like, what was kind of the scenes you guys were playing with at that point? It was, if we felt a little out of place because we weren't like these bands. These bands were more into hardcore and, mm-hmm. um, um, but great music. I mean, we're not against hardcore. We just don't play hardcore. <laughs> and uh, but you could say some of our songs later on. There's some hardcore. Oh yeah, elements. definitely. So yeah, it's, it's they wore off on. Are they? You know, we sort of got some of their stuff from them, from AFI and um, yeah, Nerve Agents and uh, Pressure Point. 
just anyone that was local uh, we'd like to play with and become friends with because you know punk should be all inclusive um, we thought that way and it seemed that way so um, but there'd always be fights stupid fights and you'd say why are you guys fighting now we can't we can't play anymore I remember it hit me really hard one time we played Gilman and, and a fight stopped the show and everyone just started filing out and a girl walked right up and she says your fans suck and I go I know man I can't pick and choose my fans so it's like Jimmy Percy kind of thing where yeah, you, yeah. you just can't pick exactly what, who just, comes to your shows and also there's something about the Gilman because I'm going to say we've had three shows that have had to be interrupted by giant massive fights yeah you know they have, they have their um, own security and it's it's a bunch of tiny people and they're not really it's a different yeah and it's a different like vibe and stop it's just like all right um don't do that you know it's like keep it down you guys no fighting um and this was years ago so in you know things might have changed since i like had played there but i remember like crazy fights like like you're describing like room clearing brawls where people are filling the streets and squaring off on each side of the road type thing. definitely definitely that that happened uh a number of times when we played there and we got a sort of a bad reputation for that but um did that start at a certain point or is that kind of as soon as you guys moved up there because it seems like i don't know the thing that i loved about that that scene is that it's just it's so as you're saying it's so diverse as far yeah. as like the bands no one sounds the same yet everyone's kind of playing together for sure for sure that, that's what we loved about it and so when you get a crowd like that you're going to get a, um, people with you know maybe a few beers in them that um, get a little bit more courageous and start spouting off with the mouth and, and getting arguments and then all of a sudden there's fists flying so it's it's it happens and uh the best thing to do is just stop the show, yeah. and, you know, and tame everyone, get everyone calmed down, and, and say, you know, this is not what it's about. You know, we're all here for the same reason to enjoy the music. Um, you know, say, say, uh, just let everyone know that you know we're, we're a family. We we'll just start acting like one. You know, besides, you know, fighting with each other, let's start loving each other. You know, this is a beautiful thing, not an ugly thing, and um, you're making it ugly. So. Let's uh, shape up or just, you know, don't come to the shows. It's also so factioned in, in at that time in music. Like, it felt like it was very, like, there's these different groups. And I feel maybe because of the way people consume music today, maybe because you don't have to pick a side in the same way, it just feels right. different now. Like, I think so, too. Um, yeah, I mean, the street punk label, we can't get rid of that. They'll, they'll still say we're street punk. And I, I, I never got it from the start. I was like... <laughs> What is that exactly? Isn't it just punk? I mean, because our the name of our record, Streets of San Francisco, is that because it's street punk? I, I never understood uh, the label, but um, I don't even know if that's wh- wh- where that derived from. Because I don't. Yeah, I guess it was, it was like, like in '77 there was street punk and punk. You know what I mean? It's like no, I was I was trying to think when that would have started, and would it have been kind of that blank '77? Yeah, uh, I guess so. That era? Was that yeah. like, you know, the... I think so, because uh, we played with them as well. And yeah. They would link us with bands that were under the title Street Punks. Well, that's almost like what that, I guess, like, to me, uh, that uh, Network of Friends comp, what was it called? The uh, I Got My Friends yeah, yeah, yeah. comp, and it's the San Francisco-Boston thing. That, yeah, yeah. that is like that's Street, street punk. punk. And I guess the, the ultimate kind of, like, mass 
sale of it would be like the Hellcat Records kind of For sound sure. a little bit later. For sure, that that's um, they they really liked street punk, I guess, and uh, are the label of it and the sound of it. I mean, it sounds kind of dangerous and cool, but uh, I just never understood it. And then, yeah, it blew up once that Boston, uh, California comp came out. Well, and it was also, I guess, like post the explosion of, of punk stuff where it was like, oh, I'm a, this guy's a, a snowboard punk kid or a skate punk kid, right. and I don't want to be associated with that, so I'm a, I'm a street punk right, right, right. type. And then there the the crust kids and the power violence kids and then the emo kids and it was just it was all really lame to me that they had they had all that <laughs> a good catch yeah. on mine I'm glad I wish it was a video podcast if we could have seen that catch <laughs> dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun. but yeah it, it, I, it drove me nuts I thought it was really stupid and um, it still happens today but not nearly as now I mean these shows like last night's show was a really good example three pretty different bands mm-hmm. um all could be considered under the punk label though but uh the crowd was just amazing they were really cool and just hugs everyone smiling um everyone getting picked up who fell down i mean the way it should be and it it was just uh, a really cool sight to see well i guess it would have been almost like what 20 years ago around here 25 no 20 years ago uh you guys in the souls with the descendants yeah that was at the opera. We were just talking about that, me and Brian, last night. I was just like, we're really lucky people to be a part of that because that's right when they first started coming. Yeah, to coming. yeah, yeah. And everything sucks, and that was an amazing album. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that to me was like, I can die tomorrow after that tour because it was just so. It took care of all almost all the states. It was a really long tour, but it was just every show was packed. Every show had a buzz. And every band got a good reaction. So it was, for us, it was just like um, a great springboard. And I think it's also like, you know, three bands that are also like really song-based bands. You know, the Descendants of their Era too were like, you know, the outlier because they were writing songs in a different kind of way. For sure, for sure. Uh, um, and it was just such an honor to be a part of that and to be lumped in with them and 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 to be able to talk to them and become you know friends with them so it's uh like i said that's probably the luckiest part of our band life yeah you know bill's not going to be like we're too hungover you guys go and play right. this show by yourselves tonight <laughs> yeah he, he was more like uh could i see your pass and he would just go get out of my way i'm going through and then they would stop him and he'd go oh i guess descendants aren't playing tonight <laughs> and then i'd say all right go ahead <laughs> yeah he's uh one of the weirdest episodes ever of this podcast yeah. where he ate like a, a weed brownie before and just oh was God. just riding on some other trip. Do you still uh, partake? Oh my God, yeah. I'm a huge cannabis guy. Okay, same. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this venue sucks for bringing weed or I would have brought weed. Oh, no, no. They refused me entry with the mountain goats. <laughs> I'm like, because my weed wasn't rolled into joint form. Oh, really? And I'm like, I got I brought my mighty vaporizer. Like, I'm not going to smoke a joint. They're like, can't come in unless you roll into joints. Oh, crazy. And I was like, what? That is some bullshit. I played this venue like a week ago. I'm on the guest list of the band playing. Like, <laughs> Anyway, I had to get brought in later on with my weed. I had to be escorted with the weed. In, oh, so yeah. I would have brought some. Oh, that sucks. But next time, next time. Yeah, but yeah. It's wild how, like, that has helped my touring. Like, I didn't come to it till the, you know, 10 years into the band, basically. And then it just gave me, like, oh, there's a way to to decompress after a show right. without staying up all night 
For sure, man. Uh, it's been amazing. I, I I know it's not addictive, but man, it, mm-hmm. it helps me so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can love my kids way better. Just great relationship with my wife because of it. Yes. It's just uh preach. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just it helps out everything and it's um it just calms everything down. It's yeah. it's like uh no, I don't have to think this way. I can just think um react with love to everything. React with uh kindness to mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Everything that you say to me, react with kindness. And uh pot's sort of done that for me. It's just sort of got my mind straight and um I know it makes pe- some people uh, cloudy and they're not uh, anxiety ridden and stuff like that, but not for me. Man. No, not it's, same here. It's just a great calming element. Yeah, I find life. I can't get too high. Like, I've yeah. never hit a point where I'm like, oh man, like, for me, cannabis is something that I form as a performance enhancing drug for me in every part of my life, I find. Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Same Except way. maybe financially because it's still pretty expensive. Yeah, that is, that is the awful truth. Um, but this has been incredible johnny like i want to thank you again for being willing to do this and oh, man i'm honored man thank you that's uh really coming from you that that means a, really a lot so thank you for having me thank you johnny for coming on the show and you heard right there johnny will be back for a uh, part two man that show was amazing like you've seen them live and they played dirty c and I swear to God, I was just like tears on my face, like lump in my throat. And of course, when you're at a show, you know, you see people who want to talk to you. They're coming over to talk to you. And I, I'm looking over at people when they're tapping me on the shoulder to say hello. And they're looking at me and going, ah, now's probably not a good time to talk to him. He looked a little preoccupied with something. I was, a, I was a mess when they play that song. But, you know, as I explained off the top, you know, there's certain bands that, um, come to you at, at key moments in your life, uh, and, and forever those bands just hit those emotional chords, you know, just, just know exactly how to dial it in and bring you right back to that moment. And that song, uh, a few songs by that band, but that song in particular by Swingin' Nighters, every time I hear it, it brings me right back to some pretty heavy emotional times. So, uh, there you are. Uh, <laughs> uh I got to give a huge thank you. To the big homies, Melanie K and Vanessa at Mutiny PR for making that happen. Uh, you know, Melanie, of course, was trying to set this up forever, and I appreciate her hard work and, and busting her butt to make this happen for this podcast because uh, I get to do stuff like that. So, whew, whew. Should we keep it kind of oi next week? You know, like I think I think that's probably a good way to keep it. Should we should we keep the the oi flowing next week and get to Colin from Coxpar? Is that a, a good follow up for this one? I think I think it is. You know, Swingin' Nighters covered them, so it's a, a a cool little one two punch. So next week on the show, Colin from Coxpar will be here to. Uh, to uh, to talk about the origins of street punk, and we get into a lot of cool stuff with them. There are some amazing stories. It is awesome. So that is next week on the show. Good good one two punch right there, or next episode on the show because God only knows when it's going to come out. <laughs> Not to be coming out before next week. Don't worry. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. That's it. Um, go out there and make your own culture. Continue to sign your organ donor cards and. Uh, Love the people around you as much as you can uh, and hug them and and just hold on to them because uh, 
when you can, it really hurts. And you're forever kind of holding on to the, to the memories that bring you back there and the things that help bring you back there, like, like Dirty Sea. Uh, well, that's it, everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye.